Let me get myself situated here. I'm scared my water is going to fall. I'll put it here. How are all of you? Good. Well, I am really excited to be here. I am excited to be here in chapel getting to preach to you today. Preaching is actually something I really love to do. Um, but I'm also really excited to be here at North Central with you. I... Uh, I'm loving being able to teach, but I'm also loving uh, getting to know you guys. Uh, several of you, maybe a lot of you, are in my classes right now, and what I keep on finding, yeah, whoop, whoop, what I keep on finding is just um, I'm surprised and excited by your brains. I'm excited by the thoughts that you're thinking. My Hebrew class today came and they were reading Hebrew. And I was, y'all should take Hebrew just to put it out there. It's exciting. But anyway, I am loving getting to know you guys and loving the learning that you're doing and teaching me. So thank you. So my name is Dr. Cherie Lear. Like he said, I'm a missionary kid. I grew up in West Africa. I um, studied overseas, got a PhD. I married another PhD, Dr. Ronald Vanderberg, Ronald Vanderberg, and I have two kids. I studied the Old Testament for my PhD. I saved that one. I didn't do Old Testament for my uh, undergrad or for my master's degree. But I saved it for my PhD because the Old Testament is my favorite. It's my favorite partly because it's a little bit messy. It can be a little bit weird. The people in my classes know I love nothing better than telling a weird story. And then I'm like, preach that. Preach it. What are you going to do? <laughs> um, today I am preaching almost the entire Bible. I'm not joking, but uh, you'll see. <laughs> One of the things besides the weirdness of the Old Testament I love is I love the artistry of the text of Scripture. My studies, I got to see that the Bible is not put together haphazardly. Care was placed into its composition. Stories were selected for a reason. Details were remembered and included for a reason. Today, we'll be looking at some of these artistic markers that we, when we read scripture, we're supposed to pay attention we will be looking at a group of stories that each individual story is an amazing story by itself, and we could preach just on that story, probably do several sermons on it. But each individual story, when we see the patterns connecting the stories, all together make an even bigger message. So my sermon today, as you can see, is called Expecting Christ. So there once was a man whose name was Abram. God chose to have a relationship with Abram. 
He called Abram from nowhere. He said, Abram, I want you to go to a land you've never been. I want you to leave everybody that you love. And I'm going to have a relationship with you. And if you do these things, I'm going to give you three things. My Old Testament class should all know what that is. Promised him land. He promised him relationship, continuing relationship. And he promised him a seed. (laughs) Another way we could say that is offspring or child or children. The cool thing about the story about Abraham is that the seed can be understood in two ways. It can be understood as one child, a seed. Abraham, you're going to have a son. Or it can be seed, as in offspring, plural, many descendants. And we see both of these things are promised to him. They're encapsulated in this one promise of a seed. You're going to be many, and there's going to be a special one. Now, this promise to Abram, or later his name is Abraham, and his wife Sarai, or later her name is Sarah, was important for two reasons. First, Abraham and his wife Sarah were really old. Really old. They were too old to have kids. And on top of that, even when Sarah could have had children, she was barren. Barren means that you are unable to have children, a woman who is unable to have children. So we can look at the story of Sarah. Let's look at her. Sarah, um, we see as we read the book of Genesis, was kind of worried about God's promise happening. Yeah, she was really old. (laughs) Really old. (laughs) In her 90s, actually, according to the text, eventually. But uh, Abram and his wife were old. She was barren. She was unable to have children. She was worried about making it happen. And so she said, well, let me think. How can I make this work? How about, Abram, you sleep with my handmaiden, Hagar, and we can have children that way, and that way God's promises can still happen. Well, they do it, and it just causes a big mess. Hagar has a child. God does give him promises, but it's not the child that was promised to Abram. If we go on and read in uh, Genesis 18, there's a story there about three visitors coming to the tents of Abram. Three visitors don't know who who they are, but Abram sees them come and he says, let me make a meal for you. And he runs and he tells his wife, make bread. I'm going to kill this um, calf and we're going to make it for these people. We're going to give them food. And they do that and... um, Abram shows great hospitality, which is a sermon for another day. But um, it turns out that those three people that are visiting were actually angels. And they had come to bring a message to Abraham and Sarah. And while they're eating, they tell Abram, Abram, where's your wife? Well, she's in the tent. They say, you know what? In about a year, we're going to come back, and you're going to have a child. And according to the story, Sarah was just on the inside of the tent listening, and she started to laugh, because she says, I'm old, <laughs> laughing like the old lady there. I'm old, and I'm barren. How, I'm gonna, how am I going to have a child? 
And they looked, they asked her, is anything too hard for the Lord? And she, of course, gets worried and says, I didn't laugh, I didn't laugh. Well, it turns out a year later, they were right. The child of promise was born, Isaac. Now, what's interesting is that Isaac grows up and he marries another woman. He marries a woman whose name was Rebecca. What's interesting about Rebecca is that she was also barren. She can't have kids, according to the text, until God opens her womb. And then she has a child of promise. Anybody know? What's his name? Jacob. Jacob is born. Big deal, Jacob, right? Jacob is, his name is changed to Israel, and he is considered like the type of Israel. He is the father of Israel. Well, Jacob has children. Well, no, not yet. Sorry. Jacob gets married. Jacob actually marries two women. One he didn't really want to marry, Leah. Sorry, Leah. Apparently she had bad eyes. <laughs> Poor Leah. <laughs> oh. And then, <laughs> I just always, so I know a missionary family, and their daughters are named Leah and Rachel. And I always felt like that's just kind of unfair. <laughs> but anyway, so Jacob married Leah first. Leah could have a bunch of kids. She did. Um, Rachel could not. And Leah starts making fun of her. La, 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 la. I have lots of children. You don't. And uh, Rachel cries out to God. God hears, opens Rachel's womb. And the first child she has is a boy named Joseph. Joseph is important. It's Joseph, because of Joseph, that the entire family of Jacob is preserved. Jacob ends up being sold into slavery. He lives in Egypt and um, becomes second in command of Egypt. And because of him, his family is saved. Child of promise saved the people. Let's skip forward to a couple books, and we'll go to the book of Judges. Judges 13, there is this great story about a man named Manoah and his wife. Manoah's wife is never actually given a name, which is an interesting part of the story. If you read the story carefully, particularly in Hebrew, anybody want to take Hebrew? Um, if you read it in Hebrew, you realize it's a bit of a comedy because what happens is the angel of the Lord comes to Manoah's wife and says, you're going to have a child. And you know what? Your child is going to rescue the people of Israel. And she says, well, that's nice, but how is that going to work? I'm barren. I've never been able to have a kid. And the angel says, you know what? You're going to have a kid. Well, she goes to tell her husband and her husband is like, why don't you ask him to come back and tell me? Or he asked the Lord to send that guy back and tell me. So God humors him and sends back the angel of the Lord, which actually is 
were revealed is actually God at this point. God is there talking to Manoah, and Manoah's like, so tell me about this kid. And, he, and the angel says, or God says, well, it's just like I told your wife. And he says, okay, well, let me make some food for you, and, and we'll do this. And the guy says, the God, angel of the Lord says, well, I'm not going to eat it, but I guess you can do that. So he makes all these preparations, and he brings it and sets it for, before the, uh, the visitor, the angel, God. He's not recognizing really who he is. And he sets, uh, the visitor sets it on fire. And all of a sudden, Noah's like, ah! <laughs> and he realizes right then, oh, this is God. And the funny bit is he starts freaking out then. The angel is gone. God is gone. And he starts freaking out. Oh, no, we're going to die. My wife, what are we going to do? We've seen God. We're going to die. And she kind of looks at him and says, uh, well, if we were going to die, I think we'd be dead already. He's come and he's gone. He gave us a promise. If he's God, he's going to follow through. Well, it turns out uh, Manoah's wife's calm and logical approach was appropriate. Um, she ends up having a child whose name is Samson. Samson, the great promised. He comes and, okay, he's kind of a mess up most of the time. But uh, in the end, he delivers the people of Israel. He brings the pillars down on top of him and the Philistine revelers, and the people are free. Barren woman, child of promise. Fast forward to 1 Samuel 1. We have the story of Hannah. Hannah was another unfortunate case, I suppose, of being a, a second wife. So there was this great man named Elkanah. He was a, a righteous man. And Elkanah had two wives, one named Peninnah, which kind of means pretty face, we think, and Hannah, which thankfully means grace. It's not Her name doesn't mean ugly face or anything like that. <laughs> pretty face and ugly face, these are my wives. Um, <laughs> No, her name was Hannah. And Peninnah had lots of kids. But Hannah could not. Hannah was barren. And Peninnah made fun of Hannah. La, 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 la. I can have children. You can't. And Hannah was distressed. And she desperately wanted a child. So according to the Bible, she went to the temple and she prayed. And she begged God and she prayed. And she prayed so hard that the priest thought she was drunk because she was praying and crying and snotting and upset so much. And the priest, Eli, didn't even know what she was praying for. But he said, you know what? It's going to happen just like you've prayed. And she is comforted and she goes away. And it happens. Hannah becomes pregnant with a baby boy. And what's great about this is that baby boy is Samuel, the great prophet Samuel. And Samuel is used to do amazing things for the for the nation of Israel. He is the one that anoints the king. He's the one that keeps them on track. He's the voice of God. He hears God when nobody else hears child of promise from a barren woman. 
There's also a Shunammite woman. Um, she was with Elijah. Elisha um, tells her she wants a child. She's barren. He says, you're going to have a child, and she does. He fits, she fits a little bit less into the, the story. There's no, there is a son that's born, and a great story comes from his life. But he's not, it doesn't happen within Israel, and so he's not on the trajectory, if you will. Fast forward. We're getting into New Testament. Yeah, I'm going to talk about the New Testament. Told you the whole Bible. And, and I include the New Testament in the Bible, not just the Old Testament. Um, yeah. Fast forward to Elizabeth. Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, couldn't have a kid. She was barren. And an angel came to Zechariah and said, Zechariah, you're going to have a child. And Zechariah says, uh, really? How is that going to happen? And he says, you're going to name him John, and he's going to be this great forerunner for something even bigger that's going to happen. It's Jesus. <laughs> Zechariah doubts, and so God's, or the angel says, well, because you doubted, you're not going to be able to talk until your child is born. And Elizabeth becomes pregnant. She was old, too. I need to, I can't really tell from that picture. She was old, too. They were old. She becomes pregnant, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon John while he's still in the womb. And he's born, and he is the child of promise that prepares the way for the coming Messiah. He goes out preaching repentance and baptism, and he changes the path. Make it ready for Jesus. All right, let's take a step back and think about all these stories. There are some common elements here. The obvious one is there's barrenness. Each of these women couldn't have children. Many of them are at a great age. Sarah, the husband of the Shunammite woman, Elizabeth, Many of them experience disdain from others or despair or suffering. Hannah, Sarah, Rachel. Many of them have an angel announcement or a man of God that talks to them. Angel announcement, Sarah. Rebecca has a prophecy. Manoah's wife, angel. Elizabeth, angel to Zechariah. Most of them express incredulity. Sarah laughed. Samson's father wanted to hear it for himself. The Shunammite woman said Elisha was lying. Zechariah questions and was made dumb. And in nearly every case, it is noted that God opens the womb and makes the pregnancy possible. A lot of them, interestingly, and this is a kind of a side note, have elements of a Nazarite vow weaved in. And then... Lastly, in each case, pretty much, a child of promise is born and fulfills prophecy or does great things or rescues the people. So if you're in my Pentateuch class right now, we've been talking about, um, we ha we're reading this book by an author named Jan John Salehammer. And one of the things he argues is that what we see in the Old Testament 
is over and over again, the events of the past are used to point to the future. I have a quote here. He says, that which happened to God's people in the past portends of future events. To say it another way, the past as is seen as a lesson for the future. Now let's go to the last big story. Mary. Luke 1, 26 through 38, if you want to follow along. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Then the angel departed from her. All right, faculty, I'm going to test you a little bit. Maybe other people can see if you're listening. Do you notice, we can go back to the slide before um, the list of uh, common elements. Yeah. Did you notice any of these elements in the story of Mary? You can shout it out. Incredulity. Who, me? I'm a virgin. How's that going to work? Good. What else? An angel announcement came. Hey, Mary, you're going to have a kid. What else? Child of promise. Yeah. And also, God is the one that makes it possible. The last one I want to argue is that being a virgin is the ultimate of barrenness. There is no way you're going to have a kid if you're a virgin. <laughs> I, I, I'm there with you. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, amen. There is no way you're going to have a child. Mary was the ultimate of barren women. And just to make sure you didn't miss it, the angel points to Elizabeth, also a barren woman, and says, hey, if I can do it with her, why can't it happen to you? And then the child of promise is born. 
like, I, I imagine, like, you know, light shooting, you know. Oh, man, this is the story. This is it. What's cool, too, is way back in Sarah, Sarah laughed, and the angel said to her, is anything too hard for God? And in this story, and it says to Mary, for nothing will be impossible with God. A nice beginning and ending to that story. In Mary, the story of the Old Testament is fulfilled. The ultimate barren woman, a virgin, has a child of promise that all other children of promise have been pointing to. He is the savior of his people. The story of each of these women, Sarah, Hannah, Samson's mother, is Elizabeth, are pointing forward to this. Each of them was a child of promise in their own right, but each of them wasn't, wasn't quite it. It wasn't quite it. It was coming. What's interesting, though, this is what I would argue is the culmination, but then the story doesn't actually end. If we can go to slide nine. Isaiah 54, one through three says, Sing, O barren one who did not bear Burst into song and shout, you who have not been in labor. For the child of the desolate woman will be more than the children of her that is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the side of your tent. You can go to the next slide so they can see it. Enlarge the side of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and will settle the desolate towns. Now, Isaiah 54 is addressing Jerusalem. Jerusalem, up until this point in the story of Isaiah, has been the desolate, unloved, not very nice woman. She can't have children in this story. And now there's a turn, and it says in the future, you, barren woman, Jerusalem, are going to have many children. In Isaiah, so Karen Jobes writes, writes, in Isaiah 54, 1, the prophet proclaims the good news to the barren woman, Jerusalem, that though she is good as dead, she will yet live with her many children. Isaiah secures the certainty of this promise that the Jews, God's people, will not die out as a people, and they will again inhabit Jerusalem on the fact that the God of Israel did in the past for Sarah and Rebekah and Rachel, he will do in the future for barren Jerusalem. Now, where am I going with this? In, in that passage, before we, yeah, in this passage, there's actually an allusion back to the promise given to Abraham. Abraham, you're going to have a seed. One seed, we know who that is, but you're going to have seeds, lots of kids. And they're going to take back the land, which, well, the earth and all its entirety belongs to God. We are the children of barren Jerusalem. The Israel that was dying and was forsaken once again will have children, us. The promises made to Abraham are renewed because of Christ. We, following Jesus, are also the children of promise, the seed of Abraham. Isn't that cool? 
The Bible is beautiful. I love it. I get really excited when I get to read scripture or when I get to like tell stories over and over again. The Bible is crafted carefully to point us to what's important. So I encourage you when you read, look at the details. They're there for a reason. And read the story. It's okay to laugh, to react, to cry, and to enjoy the artistry. Join with me in loving scripture. I also wanted to point out one thing, uh, or two things, I guess, in closing. Um, God used the shame, suffering, and anguish of women over and over again to point to something bigger than themselves. God allowed them to suffer to point to Christ so that when Christ was born, we would know who he was. This is the guy that we've been waiting for. This is what all these stories are pointing forward to. So, uh, I have just a few more minutes, um, two minutes. Um, I just want you to think about it. What does it mean? God uses our pain and our suffering, and he let them suffer. If, you've, if anybody out there has ever struggled with infertility, probably not a lot of you are there yet, but it's heartbreaking. God allowed it for something bigger. I would also like to note that God used these stories specifically about women, not just men. God used women over and over again to bring deliverance to his people. And lastly, I just want to leave you, we are also metaphorically the children of the barren women. We are the children of promise. We stand together with Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Samson, Shumanite, Shumanite women's son, Samuel, John, and Jesus. It's overwhelming, but at the same time, if you read the stories, reassuring company. But I encourage you to rejoice. God's promise to Abram has been and is being fulfilled. We are spreading out to the right and to the left. The tent is being made bigger. As we go forward and bring the message to Christ, we continue the story that was started way back in Abraham. You're part of something so much bigger. I'd like to take, uh, encourage you to take this message, to go forward, and to rejoice. God bless you.